All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Welcome today. Happy Palm Sunday to you. We still have people still milling around and coming in. We will go ahead and get started today. Welcome to you all. Uh, if you're a guest with us, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so good to have you with us. If you are a guest, we would love for you to connect with us, and the best way you can do that is simply to grab your cell phone right now and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just right where you are right now, text CONNECT. Um, we'll send you a link, click on that, and you'll be able to answer a couple of quick questions just so we can know who you are and how we can minister to you in the best way possible. But we've got our big three announcements for the week before we jump in and worship together. What are the big three things we want you to know? Number one is this. Next weekend is Easter. Yes. We are so excited. we got a big weekend planned for us next weekend, all right? Friday night, 7 o'clock, right in here. We're going to have a night of worship. Come spend the night with us, worshiping Jesus together. Saturday at 3 o'clock, we're going to have a big uh, church family picnic. Come and be a part of that. Uh, you can sign up for that by texting the word Easter as well to our number, 910-424-1298. Text Easter so we know uh, you can sign up for dinners. So we know how many to expect. You can sign up for your child to take part in the Easter egg hunt. You can sign up to be a part of the cornhole tournament. Um, we also, with the Easter eggs, we still need some more eggs to come in, some pre-filled eggs. You can bring those in and drop those off this week. We would really appreciate that. Also, you can sign up to volunteer. And I don't think you have to sign up for this, but just uh, FYI, guys... I think they're going to have a men's bake-off. And so uh, bring your best dessert, guys. Bring that, uh, and we'll see who the winner is. I'm pretty sure I get to be the judge, so I'm excited. So come bring your best dessert, guys, and be a part of that. Text Easter to sign up for everything. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, come 9, 30, and 11, worshiping Jesus. Invite your friends. We've got connect cards or, 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 or invite cards on your way out. Grab some and invite people for next weekend uh, so they can come and be a part of Easter hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's going to be an amazing time. We cannot be more excited than that. Also, coming right off the heels of that, this summer we've got Vacation Bible School. That's our number two big announcement for you. We need you to sign up to volunteer for VBS. You can text VBS to our number as well. That'll uh, follow the prompts there. That'll sign you up to be a volunteer. We need a lot of volunteers this year, okay? Sign up, volunteer. There is a plethora of ways that you can volunteer and help. We want you to do that. Sign up. That's going to be the first full week of June is VBS week. So sign up for that. And then last of all, April 18th, uh, we're going to have our next new members class. So if you have been a part of Southview here for a while and you're ready to take a step to covenant membership, which is what we encourage everyone to do, uh, the next class is going to be it's three weeks, April 18th, April 25th, and then May 2nd. It meets during the 9.30 hour right here. Uh, and we'll just walk through what it means to be a member, what you'd expect from us, what we can expect from you, what this relationship and covenant membership looks like. So you can sign up by texting MEMBER to our number 910-424-1298. All right. But as we, uh, as I said earlier, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, and so uh, this morning as we were getting ready, we were eating breakfast, uh, my wife asked our youngest, uh, today's Palm Sunday, you know, what, you know what that means? And she kind of thought for a minute, she said, think about the word, 
Palm Sunday, what word do you hear? She said, Sunday? Like, no, the other one. The other one, Palm. She's like, oh yeah, I know that story. So today celebrates where Jesus came into Jerusalem. They laid down the palm branches as he came in. And I want to read the scripture to you because it's really powerful. Matthew 21, verse 9. As he's coming into Jerusalem, it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So they're, just, they're, they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. What does that word Hosanna mean? It comes from a Hebrew word. It literally translates out as propitiate us, which is just a big fancy way of saying God save us. As they see Jesus coming into town, the only thing that they can do is proclaim God save us, save us from our sin. They're calling out to Jesus and they're asking Jesus to be their savior, to be their hero, to be their rescuer, to be their deliverer, to be their king. They knew they needed Jesus to do something that they could never do. But here's the interesting thing. These same people who are screaming Hosanna, just a few days later, they're going to be gathered in Jerusalem as well, and this time they're going to be screaming crucify him. Simply saying the words isn't the same as having it in your heart. We can agree on that, right? So here's going to be the question. Do you understand today who Jesus really is? Do you understand today that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you from you? The number one person I need to be saved from is me. I've got 42 years of experience backing up the fact that if I do it on my own, bad things start to happen. Do you really understand that he is the only one who can deliver you? And if that's true, my encouragement for you today is we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I want you to sing loud to King Jesus, who is the only one who can deliver you and save you from you. Who's the only one that can make things right. The only one who can take away your sin and make you new. And if today you have not known Jesus to be that, that's going to be our prayer for you. That today you would see that Jesus is your great deliverer. He is the one to whom you cry out, Hosanna. Jesus, you're the only one who can save me from me. Deliver me. Be my hero. Be my king. Be my rescuer. Be my deliverer. I need you to do in me what I can never do by myself for me. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for a moment. We're going we're to jump in here and we're going to worship. But I want to I lead us in prayer first. And today, Lord Jesus, we cry out, Hosanna. You are our Savior. You are our Deliverer. You are our Hero. You are our Rescuer. You are our King. Apart from you, we have nothing and no hope. Jesus Christ, I pray for those here in this room that know that in their hearts. They have been changed by that truth. They love you for who you are as this. And I pray, Lord, today that that stirs up even deeper in them and they sing and worship and rejoice and pursue you. And I pray, God, for those today that maybe came in not so much believing that. Maybe saying it with their lips like the people in Matthew, but maybe in their hearts it's not fully there. I pray, Jesus, for them today. That they would walk out different than they walked in. Today you would speak to them Holy Spirit. And they would know that Jesus Christ is their only hope. And they would turn fully and completely to him. Do this today in us for your glory Jesus. In your name we pray.
Amen. Good morning, church. I'd like to invite you to stand with us. As we sing praises to a holy and a risen God. Let's sing. I was buried beneath my shame.
was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the grave. Shout it out. Our God has robbed the
Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. My Savior, that cursed tree. His body
be seated, church. Amen. And as we think about singing his praises, I want to I keep moving on in kind of a spirit of prayer for us as we, as we think about how glorious and amazing our God is. I want to spend a little time as we do every week in prayer, in corporate prayer together. As we, as we head towards Easter next week, I want us to spend a little time this morning praying together, specifically for what we're asking God to do next week. I want to read a scripture to you. It's, it's found in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's... He's writing here and he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's his nation's people, his kindred, my my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. The most important thought, the most important prayer in Paul's mind for the people that he was around was that God would save them. And that's going to be our prayer as well. So as we, as we get ready for next weekend, we've been encouraging you, talking about uh, who you, who you want to invite for Easter, who you're going to bring with you, who, who, who do you know that needs to potentially hear the gospel and experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And I want us to take a little time this morning, you guys praying for them, all right? Uh, you know who is on your mind. You know who God has brought to your mind. Or maybe God hasn't brought anyone to your mind yet. You need to spend a little bit of time asking the Lord who that is. But I want us to spend some time this morning specifically praying in that direction, okay? Uh, that God would stir our hearts for this and would indeed allow us by His grace to see a great move of the Spirit next week. So we can just bow our heads for a moment. Who is it that God has laid on your hearts? Who is it that you're praying for? Is it a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, someone you go to school with? I want to encourage you right now. We can just lift them up and, and, and pray in a couple of areas. Number one, pray that God would begin now working in their hearts. That God would begin now stirring in them. They would begin now even having spiritual thoughts and questions come to their mind. They don't even know maybe even where it's coming from. But they would just begin to, to think through those things, to meditate on those things. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of unbelievers by convicting them of sin, Convicting them of their need for Jesus, convicting them of who Jesus is, and the fact that he is the only one who can save them and deliver them. Pray that God begins to stir that up in them. And next, I want to take just a minute and I want to pray for us. Um, yes, we're, tr- we're, we're trusting that God would do a work in them, but we need to trust that God doesn't work in us and that we will be bold, that we would 
actively seek to engage in these conversations and these relationships that we would not, let's just be honest, chicken out. <laughs> and that the Lord would empower us by His Holy Spirit. proclaim the gospel and to actively seek just like Paul said their salvation so Lord God I do pray for us I ask you God that you would stir in us your people a uh, a a hunger and a desire to see those around us come to know you as Lord I pray God that we would be filled with boldness just like we see here in the book of Acts um, these believers are praying, they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're walking out with boldness. And I pray, God, that this is exactly what you do in us right here, right now. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us and that you would embolden us. Embolden us to step out of this room and tell those in our lives um, who you are. Whether we know them and have a relationship with them or whether it's just some random person we're going to meet this afternoon. That we would be bold enough to step out and say, this is who Jesus is and this is how he's changed me. Would you like to come hear more about him? I pray, Jesus, that you would embolden us in this. And I pray, Lord, for the people we're going to interact with and talk with and invite by God's grace. I ask you, Lord, that you would, God, again, begin now stirring in their hearts. Begin now drawing them to you, Lord. I pray, God, by your grace, we're going to see a harvest of souls. We want to see that because we love you, we want to see you glorified in saving people, and we love them. We want to see them be made new in you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you'll do this. And I have all the confidence in the world that you're going to, and I cannot wait to see it all unfold for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So again, as you leave, um, we've got some cards you can grab if you'd like. If those are good conversation starters for you, you're welcome to grab as many of those if you want, that you want, and... Uh, Pass those out as little conversation starters, however you would like to do that. But let's, let's get ready for God to do a great thing next week. Okay, so in light of that, we're going to be in Acts still today. Acts chapter 5, we're going to finish up chapter 5. And, and as we're looking at Acts, what we're doing is this. I, I don't know if you guys are into um, your family history. Like, uh, I love that, me and uh, so we have four kids. And so we just call them numbers, not names necessarily, because we get the names mixed up. So... Um, so number three, he's our nine-year-old. Um, he uh, he's into it. He loves it, right? So um, so for his birthday, we got him a uh, a, a subscription to Ancestry.com. Like that was that was legit. His nine-year-old birthday present. All right, he's he's a he's a he's a unique and special young man. And so he just spends hours hours researching our family history. Right? And so he'll come to me and find pictures. Like, Dad, you know who this guy is? Like, he died in 1812. Nobody. I don't, I didn't. I mean, I know I'm old, but I'm not 1812 old, right? But, but it, the neat thing about doing that, going through your family history, is you, learn, you do learn things about yourself, right? You learn things about, oh, so that's where we came from, and that's where that is, and that's how that happened. Okay, that makes sense. Same thing spiritually going through the book of Acts. What we're doing is we're, we're literally tracing back our spiritual ancestry right we're we're taking our spiritual family tree and we're seeing where those branches go right so as we're going through the book of acts we're seeing our our spiritual ancestors what god did in them and again when we go through the book of acts the point is not just simply seeing what they did then the point of going through the book of acts is also seeing what we're called to do now right so 
Acts chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 12, and we're going to see again the people of God living some phenomenal, phenomenal lives for God's glory, and we're going to see how that might potentially relate to us. So let's pick it up in verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns and around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So what we see happening here is their ministry was public, not private, right? This idea that my faith is just private, I don't really share that. You're going to have a problem with that, and it's called the Bible. All right? You are are expressing a form of Christianity that Jesus would think is weird. If your definition of Christianity makes Jesus go, that ain't me, you're wrong, not him. Okay? So they are very public, very upfront, and they're seeing some phenomenal things. People being loved on and saved and healed and delivered Amazing things happening for God's glory, but not everyone likes it when that happens. That's where we pick the story up in verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So the Sadducees were a group of quote-unquote religious leaders in the Jewish nation, but the Sadducees were the extremely liberal version of Judaism, all right? They um, didn't believe in the entire Bible. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels or demons or miracles or the resurrection from the dead. They are purely Jewish in name only and are mostly concerned with social status and economic uh, maneuvering. Is that making sense? All right, so that's the Sadducees. And it says they're filled with jealousy. They're jealous because they're concerned that their status and standing is going to be taken away from them because some crazy things are happening. The, the masses seem to be drawn to it. And so the ruling class is very, very unhappy that the people they consider underneath them are having different ideas, Okay. So they arrested them, they threw them in prison. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Side note, I love the fact that the Sadducees who threw the apostles in jail don't believe in angels, and the way God chose to get them out of jail was to send an angel. I just think that's funny, right? God has a sense of humor. He could have done it any way he wanted to, right? He's like... Who put him in there? The Sadducees? Let's send an angel, right? It's just God messing with people. So, verse 21. When they heard this, the apostles, they entered the temple, just like they were told at daybreak, and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came, now they are unaware of all of this stuff, right? So, so they wake up in the morning, they're putting on their robes and their big funky hats, and they're ready to rock and roll. They're thinking, we're special, now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people and of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. They're like, okay, we're ready now. Bring in the prisoners. So, verse 22, when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. Can you imagine the guy who has to do this? So here's what he has to say. Verse 23. All right, so 
good news and bad news. Good news is, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. Great! Bad news. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Right, so the doors are locked, the guards are still standing there. Somehow the Bible does not say how this angel came in, how they opened the door, how it came out. It's like an angel ninja, right, which is the coolest kind of angel, right? If you're going to be an angel, be an angel ninja. So somehow this angel miraculously delivers them from prison without the, 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 the jail cell ever being unlocked or without the guards standing right out front ever knowing what's going on. In verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, you think, wondering what this would come to. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That's a neat point. Underline that. We'll come back to it in just a few moments. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So we're going to be introduced to a guy named Gamaliel. Interesting side note. Gamaliel, he's the chief teacher in all of Israel, right? He is, he's their Billy Graham, all right? He is, he's the Jewish Pope, okay? He's the guy. And you know who Gamaliel's star student is? A young man named Saul. We'll find him in a few chapters meeting Jesus and having his name changed to Paul. So this is Gamaliel. So he sends out the apostles, and here's what he says to the rest of the Sanhedrin. Verse 35, And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, different Judas, not the same Judas that betrayed Jesus. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So he's saying, look, we've seen this before. A guy rises to to some prominence, a lot of people follow him, he's killed, and eventually this thing dwindles away. We've seen it a couple of times, probably going to be the same thing here. But he then adds this caveat, verse 38. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, verse 39, but... If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice 
And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, verse 40, when it says they beat them, some of your Bibles may say they flogged them. In the original Greek, it literally is the same word meaning they skinned them. It's the same word used if you skin an animal. They beat them to such an extent the skin was ripped off of their entire body. Now, that's important to understand that little note because of the next verse we're going to read, all right? So, after literally being skinned alive, verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So here's what I want to do. As I've spent some time in Acts 5 this week, there are a few prayers for us that have kind of bubbled up in my heart, right? Some things that I've just been kind of seeking the Lord on. So what I want to do is just for a second go kind of back through that passage and highlight just some prayers as we see this scripture of what God is doing there among these people and what we're praying and believing that he does among us as well. First is this, God, may we be a people who fill Cumberland County with your gospel. Look at what he says in verse 28, when they're brought before the Sanhedrin. Look at the way it's described. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Now there's a couple of cool things here. Number one, if you remember in Acts 1-8, the... the, uh, mission that they were given by Jesus. You receive the Holy Spirit, right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first step was Jerusalem, and it's apparently here, mission is starting to be accomplished, right? They literally have filled the city with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see when we get into chapter 8, they're then going to break off into the rest, Judea and Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. So what we see here is What Jesus said in Acts 1-8 was not just him talking. God doesn't just say things. He said, this is the way it's going to happen, and it's happening. The second thing is interesting is this. The way that it's being described, they have literally filled the city with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thought. When I think about us, my prayer for us is that we would fill our communities, this city, this area, this region, the Fayetteville metro area, Cumberland County and all that surrounds it, fill it with the teaching of the gospel of Christ. So how does that happen? How do we do that? Um, A gentleman by the name of Michael Green, he's an Oxford professor of religious studies. Listen to the way he describes how Jerusalem was filled with the teaching, right? How did this happen? Listen to what he says. This must have been not from formal preaching, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes, in schoolyards, on walks, and around the marketplace. They went everywhere, listen, gossiping about the gospel. They did it naturally enthusiastically and with the conviction of those who are not being paid to say this sort of thing. And consequently, the movement spread. The teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to fill 
Fayetteville, Cumberland County, and beyond in our communities, not because more and more people fall into this room to hear me talk. It will be because we all go into every corner of our own personal lives gossiping about the good news of Jesus Christ. You're telling everyone around you what Jesus has done for you. When you leave this place today, you go back to where you live. You, you, we, we take it as our, our responsibility, as our call of God to see that our street is filled with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That our workplace is filled with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our school, our, our hobbies, our friendship circles, the places we live, work, go to school, and play. We see that as our responsibility to help Fill that up with the teachings of the gospel of Christ. How is Cumberland County going to be radically flipped upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not going to be through, through this. It will be through every single one of us. Every single one of us saying, I desire I want, I long for, I crave to tell everyone around me how good Jesus Christ has been to me. And you're constantly talking about it. My second prayer. God, may we be a people who take part in your unstoppable movement in this world. Verse 39, when Gamaliel stepped in, And he said, if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now, there's no biblical evidence to support that Gamaliel actually believed Jesus was the Messiah and was being tempted to follow him as Lord. He's probably speaking more from political expediency than anything. But even a broken clock is right twice a day, and Gamaliel got this one right. This is a work of God, and no one was going to stop it. And my prayer for us is that we would see God is doing something so phenomenal, so huge, so amazing, and we get to just be a part of it. Let me give you a a quick snapshot of how God went, took the gospel from 120 people in an upper room, and, and this unstoppable tsunami of gospel force just floods the earth. You ready? So, it starts in Acts chapter 1 with 120 people in the upper room. By 39 AD, we'll see this in Acts chapter 15 in a couple of weeks, they have what's called the Jerusalem Council, which takes the gospel to Gentiles. By 42 AD, Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, is in Egypt preaching the gospel. By 49 AD, Paul is in Turkey. By 51, Paul is in Greece. 52, Thomas is in India. By 174 AD, Christianity is in Austria. It's going up into Europe. By 280 AD, Christianity is in northern Italy. By 350, in 350 years, Christianity went from 120 people. And in 150, uh, 350 years, there were estimated 32 million Christians in 350 years. In 432 A.D., Patrick takes the gospel to Ireland. And we celebrate one of the great movements of the gospel in all history by now drinking green beer and pinching each other. But that's a different sermon for a different day. 
596, Augustine takes the gospel to England. By 635, the gospel is in China. By 740, the gospel is in Iceland. By 900, the gospel is in Norway. By 1200 AD, the Bible is available in 22 different languages. By 1498, the gospel is in Kenya. In 1554, it's in Thailand. By 1630, the gospel is being preached to the Mason Indians in Texas. 1743, Daniel Brainerd is taking the gospel to the missions, uh, to, to, to uh, Indians in the western part of the United States. 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention starts their mission board pushing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then that brings us to modern day. You hear it for this? Communist China. In the last 50 years, Christians in China have grown from 1 million to 40 million. And it is believed at that rate of growth, by 2030, there will be more Christians in China than in America. Africa was 4% Christian in 1900. And today is over 40% Christian. Every single day in Africa, 20,000 people get saved. Every day. Soviet Union had 70 years of atheistic oppression to Christianity. And know what it resulted in? Now 40% of Russians claim to be Christians. Indonesia, a Muslim-closed country, there are so many Christians being converted in Indonesia, the government refuses to print the statistic. It's believed that about 25% of Indonesia is now Christian. Not only that, look at closed countries. Indonesia, Bangladesh, Iran, and those in East Africa. More Christians have come to faith in those countries in the last 10 years than in the previous 1,000 years combined. Korea. 1900 in Korea, there wasn't a single church. Not one. Not one church in all of Korea. By today, in South Korea... 30% are Christians, and there are 4,000 churches just in the city of Seoul. North Korea, the amount of Christians is exploding in the face of immense persecution. To the point in North Korea, when they're beating Christians to death, they fill their mouths with gravel so they at least don't have to hear them scream. And they can't stop people from becoming Christians. Why? Because there is a global movement that's taking place, and no one is going to stop that. You can't do it. You can't do it by killing them. You can't do it by government pressure. You can't do it by outlawing Christianity. You can't stop it. Jesus promised this. It's going to start as a mustard seed, and it's going to grow to the biggest plant you've ever seen in your entire life. It can't stop. And what the prayer gets to be is this. Listen to me. You get to be a part of that. All right, so recent um, economic history. So GameStop, if you followed that. I'm fascinated by that stuff. Maybe you think I'm a geek. That's fine. But if you knew that was going to happen, like you knew, wait, I could drop a 1000 bucks in GameStop and be a millionaire in three and a half months? Yes, please. Right? If you knew that was going to happen, you, you would have been a crazy person not to jump on board with that. Right? If you know the end result is going to be phenomenal, You jump in. That's exactly what God is telling you here. Jump in on the only guaranteed investment in your entire life. You put money towards the gospel, you're guaranteed an investment. 
You spend your vacation taking the gospel to the ends of the earth on a mission trip through our church or anywhere else, you're guaranteed a return on investment. May God empower us to be a place, to be a people who are so excited and convinced of this unstoppable movement of God, we just can't help but jump in. And to follow the advice of Gamaliel, to not do that, you're going to find yourself fighting against God himself. And my last prayer is this. May we be a people who walk through sufferings of this world with the joy of Christ. Verse 41. Again, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. How could the apostles experience such brutality and walk away rejoicing? It's because the apostles knew that God is good when life is good and when life is bad. The apostles knew that circumstances do not determine the goodness of God. God showed his goodness and his love and his compassion when he united us with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, when he gave us eternal life right now through Jesus, who is eternal life, when he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, when he gave us a new identity in Christ, when he put us in Christ so that we can be perfectly loved by God, just like the way he loves his son. He showed his love, his grace, his goodness in doing that and no circumstance can take that away so now we get to view suffering differently suffering now is used by god to further us in the kingdom and to further the kingdom as a whole think about it like this um, oswald chambers in his little devotional he had a great little illustration about this he said god has to crush you in suffering because crushing a grape is the only way you get wine you don't drink grapes the only way you can experience the outflow of the real life of Christ is if God squeezes. And because we are convinced of his goodness, we don't have to think that when he squeezes, that means he doesn't love us. We can be convinced of his love because he says that he loves us and he's shown us his love through Christ. And so when he squeezes, we can now say, okay, Lord, what is it you want to flow out of me? What do you want to flow out of me? So, we're filling the world with the gospel of Christ. We're taking part in this unstoppable movement of the gospel. We're viewing suffering not as a bad thing to run away from, but by faith, trusting God to use it as an opportunity to do things in us and through us for his glory. So here's the question I want to end asking with. What in the world empowered these apostles to live this way? How did they do this? More so than say, here's what they did, so we need to go do it. We need to be understanding of why they did it, so that we can now get the why, so then the what flows. Is that, is that making sense? And the answer is this. They did this stuff because they treasured Jesus. The apostles were bold in Acts 4 because they treasured Jesus above all else. Ananias and Sapphira were killed in Acts chapter 5 because they did not treasure Jesus above all else. The apostles here were bold in, in, the, in, the, in the face of intense suffering and persecution because they treasured Christ above everything else. In Acts 5.29, Peter told the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than man. Think about that word must. So I was talking with Pastor Steve, our uh, 
adult discipleship pastor this week about something else, and, and he, he threw out a, an illustration that he'd heard before I thought was good. He said, imagine a husband and wife are in bed about to go to sleep, and the husband turns to the wife and says, must I kiss you tonight? And the wife says, yes, you must, but not that kind of must. There's a difference between I must kiss my wife and I must kiss my wife. Right? The two are very different. Right? You don't have to force me to do something that I want to do. You, things that I treasure, I pursue. Things that I delight in, I do. Things that I think are valuable, I take time to go after those things. You don't have to force me to eat a steak, watch a football game, or kiss my wife. Right? No law needed for that. I got it covered. Thanks. Why? Because I treasure those things. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we're going to pursue Jesus faithfully and passionately. We're going to actively seek to see our little corners of the world filled with the gospel. We're going to actively jump in to the greater move of God around the world. We're going to view suffering in a God-glorifying way when we treasure Jesus above everything else. I, I want to ask our band to come up. And, and as they're coming up, I want to read one more scripture to you. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 33. This is one of my favorite scriptures to kind of explain Christianity. So Jesus is, is teaching in parables. And here's what he says in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the story is this. A guy's walking through a field, he finds treasure in a field that's not his, like he's just like cutting through. He finds treasure, he's like, oh my goodness. So he takes that treasure, buries it in the ground in that field, then goes home, and he knows that treasure is way more valuable than anything he has. So he goes home, sells off all of his stuff, sells his house, sells his belongings, sells his cattle, tries to sell a kid. And everyone's saying, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to buy this land. Why? There's nothing on that land. Eh, I just got a hunch. Sells everything, buys the land, goes out, undigs the treasure. He's like, oh. next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire, right? He's like, oh, I had no idea. Now, now, Jesus is not trying to teach a lesson on real estate transaction ethics, okay? Parables are little stories that teach a big truth. And so this little story is teaching the big truth of Jesus is the treasure. And when you finally see him as the greatest treasure on earth, letting go of all the other stuff is not hard. The issue is not that you need a better Bible study plan or a church that engages your kids more or with the kind of music that you think is nice. When you treasure Christ, truly treasure Christ, Filling your personal world with the teachings of Jesus just kind of comes natural. Jumping in with your time, talent, and treasure and being a part of the global unstoppable movement of God just happens. Viewing suffering as a way to glorify God and be convinced of his love for you even when things are bad, it flows out of you. Why? Because Jesus is your greatest treasure. So I want to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. And we're not going to ask you to stand and sing. Today we just want you to kind of sit and reflect. 
And the point isn't, again, that we see these early Christians did these things, and so we need to try to emulate and do those things as much as we want to see here's what drove their lives, and we want that to drive us as well, and then we'll start doing stuff. Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Is Jesus your greatest joy? It's interesting also for for just being a Christian, and I think it's extremely important, I want everyone to hear this, okay? You don't go to heaven simply because you called yourself a Christian. You go to heaven because you treasure Jesus. I've told this over and over and over again. Heaven is not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who love and treasure and adore and worship Jesus. And those two aren't the same thing. A lot of people don't want to go to hell and don't worship Jesus. But only those who worship, treasure, adore, love Jesus have really met him and have eternal life in him. Is that you? As... As we're led today in song, I want to encourage you to spend time in prayer. You can come forward and pray. I'll be up front. I'll be happy to pray with you if you'd like. Someone else can. You can do it right where you are. But just ask the Lord to open up the eyes of your hearts to see more and more who Jesus is so that you treasure him. How you're going to do this is by having the Holy Spirit reveal him to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the glories of Jesus Christ. How great and amazing and powerful and awesome and love worthy he is so that you can pursue him. Jesus, do this in us for your glory. In your name. Amen.
Lord, we just thank you that it is well. And it is well because you are good. And you are the highest, most glorious, amazing treasure in the universe. And because of that, regardless of the circumstance or situation we find ourselves in, it is always well because you are always worthy. I pray, God, today again, just this overwhelming outpouring of just love and affection for you wells up in us, your people. And as we treasure you above all things, we will gladly and freely share of your goodness. Tell others of what you've done in us. Be a part of this amazing global expansion of the gospel. And see everything in our lives as something that can glorify and honor you. Jesus, thank you. Do this in us, your people, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week. See you next week for Easter. Stay.